0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world, to run, grow, connect, and transform, to engage customers and patients across their journey. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. And I'm telling the truth because this is where the best run. Let's see what's happening, the buzz on the street today. I have a quote from somebody named Robin Robinson, who wrote recently on the website pharma, P-H-A-R-M-A voice dot com on reimagining future life sciences industry. Here's the quote. And listen up. In a marketplace increasingly driven by clinical efficacy and value-based outcomes, and yes, we've discussed all of that on on other shows on this series, understanding the customer becomes as important for pharma companies as it is for Pepsi. I thought that was a very, very, very interesting quote. So what are we talking about today? Well, one of the biggest hurdles for any company is the development of an innovation-ready culture and an ecosystem. Why is this important to us today? Well, we're talking about the life sciences industry, and it is no different. And exactly back to the quote I said, you have to understand your customer wherever you are in the life sciences industry. So the question is, is there a prescription to achieve this? Excuse me. And the answer is, yes, there is. Leading life sciences companies are rapid testing ideas. Why are they doing that? They want to foster that culture of innovation I'm talking about. And they want to use all the new tech tools that are out there. You know these. Analytics blockchain, AI, that's artificial intelligence, ML, machine learning, IoT, yes, I'm doing alphabet soup, Internet of Things to deliver business-wide value and customer centricity. There you have it. The experts speak. I've got a panel of three thought leaders, all experts in the field, and we're going to find out in a few minutes what they think about this. So Let me just tell you who they are, and then we'll get started in a moment. And I'll be introducing you to Don McKenzie, Industry Solution Principal for intelligence. North America. We'll find out what Don does. Joining him on the panel is Janelle Firestein, partner and life sciences industry lead for Clarkson Consulting. And welcome back both to Intelligence and Clarkson. And rounding out the panel is a newcomer from SAP. He is Kevin Brophy, B-R-O-P-H-Y, life science industry value advisor with SAP. And we'll find out what he does. So welcome Welcome, welcome to our panelists. So let's get started. Don McKenzie has sent me a quote from Amelia Earhart. We had a quote from Amelia on a show last week, Don, as I mentioned to you when you and I met on the prep call, but you sent the whole quote. And I love the bigger quote, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Anybody who's too young to remember Amelia Mary Earhart, E-A-R-H-A-R-T. 1897 to 1937 she died young because she simply disappeared. She was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She received a U.S. Distinguished Flying Cross for this for this record uh, during an attempt to make a circumnavigational flight of the globe in 1937 in a Purdue funded Lockheed Model 10 Electra. She disappeared over the Central Pacific Ocean and people are still fascinated with her even today. Here's the quote the most difficult thing is this decision to act the rest is merely tenacity the fears are paper tigers you can do anything you decide to do you can act to change and control your life and the procedure the process is its own reward she sounds like she was way ahead of her time doesn't she don mckenzie welcome how are you today
2: doing very well thank you bonnie yeah, i agree um the two words that stand out to me in there are tenacity And then the last one, which is reward, and what I find fascinating about that is it's nothing to do with compensation models, anything like that. The process and the sense of success that you get in the process is its reward. So that's where I'm at on that.
1: So tell me about, we're talking about life sciences, the industry, the broad industry. We're talking about innovation culture, customer centricity. There's so many buzzes that I dropped in my opening quote, Don. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about what would Amelia Earhart say in terms of acting to change and control your life. Let's substitute your industry to your life. The fears being paper tigers. That's what I love most about this quote, actually. What would she say if she were here? We wish she was. Uh, and talking about what we're needing in life sciences today. What's your, how can we link this up?
2: Yeah, I think um, the, the industry today, or well, the life sciences industry today, is in a phase of uh, what I would call, pioneering, using my own word, uh, not in the sense of being reckless and trying things that, um, that are irresponsible, but we've, we've developed an enormous number of technologies over the years. Some of them are really beginning to emerge now, and I'll just leave one being mm-hmm. the, the presence of big data around everything that we do, but making good use of that and purposing it in the right direction within life sciences is the challenge, is the pioneer stage right now.
1: Thank you. Um, very, very well put. Yes, we talk about big data on many of our shows. Uh, Don, I don't know if you know but we have 38 different themed series under the banner of Game Changers Radio. And we recently spoke on the series called the Internet of Things with Game Changers about what is big data and how big is it really? What are we supposed to do with it? How do you dive into that data lake and make sense out of everything? And I guess life sciences is no different. The data is there. You collect it. How long do you keep it? Who has access to it? What kinds of algorithms? Algorithms do you use? How much data can you use for what purpose? Am I on track here? So it sounds like it's very important to life sciences.
2: Yes, agree 100%. So the, the two things that just emerged in there are both artificial intelligence and machine learning, both dependent on, on big data mentality.
1: Yep. Big data mentality. Well, that's a new term. I've never heard that big data mentality. We'll have to make notes on that and, and get your thoughts. Thank you so much, Don. We'll be talking to you in just a couple of minutes about what you do at ITelligence. And thank you again for the wonderful quote from Ms. Earhart. Now, let's turn to another newcomer, Janelle Firestein, and partner in Life Sciences, industry lead for Clarkson Consulting. And Janelle has sent us a quote. I think, Janelle, this is the first time we've ever had a quote from Marilyn Monroe. And our very young <laughs> listeners around the world may not know who she is, so I'm going to read a little bio. Marilyn Monroe, we all, all know, those of us old enough know that she was Norma Jean, but we may not know her original name was Norma Jean Mortensen. 1926 to 1962, she passed very, very young. She was an actress, model, and singer, and she played the blonde bombshell characters, one of the most popular SEX symbols of the 1950s movies, and emblematic of the era's attitudes. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, her film's made over 200 million dollars by the time of her death in 1962 that is equivalent Janelle if you know this to 2 billion dollars in 2017 money she actually started her own movie production company cuz she didn't like the way the studios were pigeonholing her as she had some very pop very popularized publicized marriages and passed away questionably we'll leave it at that and was famously linked to one of the Presidents who also died very young. So here is the quote. This is great. Imperfection is beauty. Madness is genius. And it's better to be absolutely ridiculous than absolutely boring. Janelle, I don't know where you found this quote, but it's top of my list. How are you today, Janelle?
3: I'm doing fine. Um, You know, I love this quote because it speaks directly to how we have to take risks. In life and in business. And I think it's extremely applicable to the life sciences industry and where they are right now from a Crossroads perspective of really needing to innovate and take some risk uh, to really be a game changer in the industry and differentiate and drive the industry to new levels. So I love this quote. It talks about how you need to take that risk and how that really leads to genius and beauty and the Um, not only for yourself but for the industry and for what you may be able to do.
1: Thank you, Janelle. Uh, Question for you. I love the last part of the quote. It's better to be absolutely ridiculous than absolutely boring. (laughs) When we talk about pharma and life sciences, nobody wants to think of ridiculous rather than boring. Do you think there's any value in that part of the quote, or is that just the fun part?
3: You know what? I I do think there's value in that. Because uh, with a highly regulated industry like this, people tend to think it's very boring, right? Uh can only do certain things, it's very restrictive. We have to be very careful, careful about what we do. Yeah. Um and I think that there's a time now to really work uh with the regulatory bodies and start to make some take some big risks and do some things differently uh to drive innovation, bring new products to the patients quicker and drive value.
1: Thank you very much. And, Janelle, would you do me a favor and just define life sciences? I I will ask around the panel because I mentioned in my quote, it was a quote about pharma from pharmavoice.com. What are the other parts of life sciences that the listeners should know when we're talking about the industry in a broad sense today? Can you help me with that?
3: Yeah. So I think we're talking more about pharma, biopharma. Uh, We're talking about medical device. uh, And we're talking about diagnostics as well. We're talking about um, those organizations that are providing um, th- the uh, products, the API, the raw materials, so also the providers, uh, your contract organizations as well, your CROs, C- uh, contract, uh, contract research organizations, your contract lab organizations, and your contract manufacturing organizations, as well as your distributors um, and your 3PLs that are working with them. So I define the life sciences industry pretty broad as anyone in that value chain that provides something to a patient or enables Great. a provider yep. to provide to a patient.
1: Thank you very much. I like to level set so we know what we're talking about and we'll, we'll take input from the others. Thank you very much, Danelle. And just love the quote. I want to. If I was still sewing or crocheting or doing cruel work, Mm -hmm. I would put it on a pillow somewhere. It, You know what? I think it's going to be my new mantra for how I live my life. (laughs) I just love the part about absolutely ridiculous rather than absolutely boring. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to take that under it. We could start a whole, Janelle, we could start a hashtag on Twitter for that. We sure could. (laughs) We sure could. Thank you. I knew you would agree with that. Thank you so much and welcome. And now, waiting so patiently, Kevin Brophy at SAP. And Kevin has sent us a quote from Vince Lombardi, Vincent Thomas Lombardi, 1913 to 1970, American football player, coach, and executive in the NFL. I know that's the National Football League. Best known as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, he led the team to three straight and five total NFL championships, in seven years, win the, won the first two Super Bowls at the conclusion of the 66 and 1967 NFL seasons. And he started as an assistant and later as a head coach in New Jersey. We'll leave it at that. He had a great, great track record, his overall record. Let's see what year. I don't know what it is. record of 105 wins, 35 losses, and six ties in the NFL. And apparently, if you're a sports fan, that means a lot. So here is the quote Kevin has sent us. Winning is not everything. It's the only thing. Kevin Brophy, Words to Live By, Words of Wisdom. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this quote from Vince Lombardi. We
4: haven't had him on the show in a long, long time. Well, ironically, he died of cancer. So when you think about having to win and beat serious diseases like cancer and heart disease, um, it, it, it really comes to play. And and we're seeing that. We're finally seeing progress in the industry with these new therapies where we can um, actually say we're winning in some areas against cancer, using the body, uh, his own immune system to fight, attack, and put cancer into remission. Um, It's only fitting that you think about a guy who was such a terrific coach mm-hmm. um, and, and such a successful guy and leader, but he died of cancer. And all of us um, on our daily lives, our families, somehow cancer, heart disease has touched all of our families, and uh, we just absolutely need to keep pushing forward and win and beat those diseases.
1: Yes, absolutely and and I saw that in the bio actually. Let me just read this. Following his sudden death from cancer in 1970, the NFL Super Bowl trophy was named in his honor. He was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1971 the following year. He's considered the greatest coach in football history and one of the greatest coaches and leaders in the history of Any American sport. There you go. So he was a winner, but he couldn't, couldn't beat the C. Couldn't beat the C word. So thank you very much, Kevin. I'm glad you brought that up. And now let's go around the table and find out where you each are. Where each of you is, are, and what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that makes you so smart, because we already know you are, and what do you do in your current role? So, Don McKenzie at Intelligence North America, where are you, what do you love to drink, and what's your role?
2: I'm in Parker, Colorado today. Um, I live out in the country, just east of the town, Um, and uh, this is where... Uh, Obviously, I I get to relax after um, business travel uh, for intelligence, but uh, the drink that I love to, well, that I get passionate about is ginger beer. I know it's Mm -hmm. become very popular around things like Moscow mules and so on, but long before I was allowed to touch alcohol, um, we we, uh, drank ginger beer in our household uh, back in South Africa. Um, But there's some characteristics in it that that just absolutely have to be there. And one is it needs to bite. It needs to bite you in the back <laughs> of the throat. It needs spice, and it needs an authentic ginger taste. Uh, anything less than that is absolutely a waste of time.
1: Do you know that it, it dates back to the colonial spice trade in the Orient, what we used to call the Orient, which is now just considered Asia, and the sugar-producing islands of the Caribbean? Did you know that? And it, it comes back to it was popular in Britain in the 18th century. Did you know that, Don?
0: I
2: did not, but, you know, it makes a lot of sense, especially down in South Africa, because it was right in the middle of that trade between the U.K. and the Far East. Okay.
1: Well, that's very interesting. I don't think we've had many people mention ginger beer in all these years on the radio, but they do say it has experienced, as you said, a marked increase in popularity. Marked increase in recent years, accompanying the popularity of cocktails based on it, such as the Moscow Mule and the Dark and Stormy. Very, very interesting. Do you, uh, do you use the version of it that has alcohol in it or the non?
2: I went through a phase where I enjoyed it, so I've kind of gone off it again, but uh, I still drink ginger beer.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Now, tell me, what is your role? What do you do and what is intelligence up to?
2: Um, Well, we're very industry-focused at Intelligence, and the consumer industries are um, my responsibility there. We summarize that into food and life sciences in all of the um, interpretations that Janelle mentioned a few minutes ago. We just split that between two people, uh, myself and Brian Everett, who you've met before. Mm -hmm. He follows the the discrete versions of uh, life sciences, and I take the process. So I focus on pharma and uh, biopharma, and he focuses on med devices. But um, I help customers tease out SAP solutions to fit their business requirements um, and their objectives. Um, You know, our customers need our help getting to things that matter to them and the things that will transform their current state uh, to something interesting and exciting. Um, They have... You know, we, they still have businesses to run it. They've got owners and shareholders to satisfy. And, of course, we might as well make it fun and motivating along the way. And, you know, using SAP solutions and other um, just the industry knowledge that we will bring to the table over here, I think uh, we provide a great forum for that to happen.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. Don McKenzie, thank you for the information. And now let's move a little bit around the table to Janelle Firestein. And Janelle, partner and life sciences industry lead for Clarkson Consulting. So let's hear from you. Where are you today? What do you love to drink? And what's your
3: role? Okay. Uh, So today I'm in Burlington, Massachusetts, uh, enjoying uh, the northeast and hopefully no storms um, while I'm Hmm. here. Um, which seems to be uh, the norm this past week. Um, And, uh, you know, what I love to drink is a nice uh, coconut milk cappuccino with an extra shot of espresso. I like Don's word of it's got to have a bite. Uh, So does my coffee or or my espresso. It's got to have a bite to it. Um, It kind of gets you going in the morning um, and throughout the day. Uh, So that's what's in my cup um, on a regular basis. I like sure. that,
1: too. Yes, um, yes. Make make the coffee talk to me, right? Let it come out of the cup and say, hello, I'm here. Pay attention to me. Exactly right. Got to have some personality. And, and what what do you do at Clarkson Consulting? And what te- just refresh us, what is Clarkson Consulting?
3: Yeah, so Clarkson Consulting is a full-service consulting firm. Uh, we are... We do uh, management, operations, and implementation consulting. We focus in two industries, consumer products and life sciences. Um, I am responsible for our life sciences services across those different uh, business units of management, operations, and implementation. Um, I work with our clients um, in the life sciences industry um, to really define um, and look at their business challenges and How do we best solve those looking at where the market is and where they're looking to go? Um, So I'm defining the strategy internally as well as um, execution with our clients on a day-to-day basis to help them uh, solve those challenges and make a difference in the market today.
1: Thank you very much, and that's what we're talking about, making a difference in the market. Nice to meet you, Janelle. And Kevin Brophy, you're next around the table. Where art thou? What are you drinking? And what's your role as a life science industry value advisor? Go ahead, Kevin.
4: Sure. Uh, Today, down in uh, North Carolina. um, Where, 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 where? Where are you?
1: Where? In Raleigh. I'm in Durham. I'm going to lean out the window and
4: wave at you, okay? Okay. There you, there you go, there you go. I spend a lot of people ask me where my office is, and I pretty much tell them an Admiral's Club someplace. Um, (laughs) Okay, uh, a lot of traveling.
1: And what are you drinking that makes you happy and keeps you happy while you're traveling? And what do you do?
4: Absolutely, um, I am a. I I love my wine, so I, I. haven't found a New Zealand white I don't like, and it's very hard to find an Italian wine um, that you do not enjoy. <laughs> okay. I will tell you that the Harris Teeter over near where
1: I am in Durham has one of the biggest wine and beer departments I've ever seen and a lot of people just shop there for their for their beverages not not uh, hard alcohol but wine and beer and it's a phenomenal in-store department it's like a whole wine store inside next to the fresh fish and uh, the fresh seafood and meat department and there's a bar there attached to the wine department where you can watch TV talk to the bartender and they serve specialty dinners there five days a week have you discovered that when you're in this area kevin
4: i, I have now <laughs> so okay there I you go at the corner
1: of Cor- corner of glenwood 70 and tw alexander drive and that's 1.2 miles from where i live so just giving you a landmark there so go ahead and tell me about now you know go ahead and tell me about your role
4: sure so um with uh, sap um, I work with our life science customers on uh, business process solutions. Uh, and a lot of what we do today is helping them driving digital transformation, innovation, and then always with regulatory compliance. Um, and there are many different regulatory compliance um, issues that they have to adhere to. There's several new ones with dates. So that keeps us very, very busy helping the customer. But in doing so, Um, We are able now to take a look at applying things like machine learning, um, artificial intelligence and blockchain into the digital transformation and even into the regulatory compliance where you can take something that's a cost to a company and spin it and turn it into providing some actual business value.
1: Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Kevin. All three of you. Appreciate it. And I'm Bonnie, and I'm here in Durham, as we already know. And no, I don't have any wine in front of me. It's it's, uh, 1026 in the morning. But what Kevin, Janelle, and Don don't know and are about to find out is... They, quote unquote, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, Janelle, and I think you figured out why. So I am relegated to a cup of water here. I have some ice cubes in it, and I have a beautiful yellow straw because we have an absolutely clear blue sky, not a cloud in sight. And uh, Kevin, you probably notice if you come to this area often. And Janelle, you mentioned storms. This is what I call Florida weather. I've been here 11 months. I was on Long, in Long Island, New York, in Great Neck for the past. 35 years, I relocated here almost on September 1st last year, and I'm finding out that you could have this gorgeous blue sky, balmy day. It's going to be only around 80 today, which is quite cool for us. It's been in the low 90s, high 80s for weeks now, and all of a sudden, the sky will go dark, the wind will pick up, the house will creak, the trees will go sideways, and torrential rain will hit the pavement, hit the roof, hit the windows. It will get dark and stormy. You will have lightning and thunder, and then 20 minutes later, all the storm goes away, and you're back to blue skies and warm. I'm and that's what I've discovered. So you just deal with it, right? You stay curly all the time. So I'm drinking water, and I'm happy to be here. And I have to do a shout-out to my colleague at SAP, Michelle Schuf, who put together this wonderful panel. And we're talking about life sciences, prescription for digital innovation. Speaking today with Don McKenzie at Intelligence, Janelle Firestein at Clarkson Consulting, Kevin Brophy at SAP. I'm at SAP as well. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mr. Don McKenzie is going to start us off on a very interesting round table conversation around and around the table we'll go. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, you know the drill. We'll be right back. Erin out.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Power your digital transformation, innovate with new technologies, integrate them into your business, and scale seamlessly as your company grows. Changing the game in consumer industries brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges and cutting-edge technologies to help you digitally transform for an improved focus on the consumer and the patient. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top consumer industry and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the digital economy is shaping the future of consumer industries. Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to changing the game in consumer industries.
1: Yes, indeed. In our consumer industry today under the microscope, no pun intended, is life sciences. I'm speaking with Don McKenzie at Itelligence North America, Janelle Firestein at Clarkson Consulting, and Kevin Brophy at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're about to start our roundtable, quote unquote, in earnest, as my late wonderful mother used to say. Uh, I dated a guy once named Ernest. And when I got back from the date, it was just a one time blind date. And she said to me, his name is Ernest, but was he sincere? I never forgot that my mother who passed it 100 years, one month and 15 days old, just because she had a cough. That was all that was wrong and lived on her own. She had quite a sense of humor. Don McKenzie, let's look at your notes here and here's what we're going to start with. You say the life sciences industry is moving toward a model where patients are becoming more proactive and focused on wellness. Let's relate this to digital transformation. Don, go ahead.
2: Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, I think the amount of data that sits around every one of us nowadays is enormous just because of the devices that we carry with us. And now as they get more sophisticated, we're able to dip into applications that get very specific medical information about ourselves. I mean, I can monitor my heart rate. I can monitor my blood sugar. I can use it uh, through a number of different devices. Even a contact lens now has been identified as the potential to track blood sugar. But all of that data mounting up around me as an individual, I'm able to now read an analytic on my phone um, that gives me an indication of how I'm behaving um, around some of my critical um, symptom-like issues. I can also, in the same uh, platform, in the same phone and device, I can track what I do with food on a day-to-day basis in extreme detail. So all the way down into, you know, micronutrients, macronutrients, even the breakdown between proteins and fats and other things. And I can align that to the data that I'm producing on the device, be it blood sugar or other. Now, I think we're sitting at the beginning of a perfect storm where both life sciences companies and consumers with consent, of course, can, and also again, under the, the regulatory environment that, that Kevin described a few minutes ago. Um, have this this use or consumption of data that allows us to get into consuming data that's more specific to a variety of different topics that life sciences industry is interested in. So the whole concept of being able to draw data from a patient in real time to provide um, what we're calling real-world evidence into either the research arm of life sciences companies or even into... The clinical study uh, layer, and then being able to use better data to drive the process forward, even more toward the concept of um, very specific, very personal, personalized medicine. Um, So I think data is critical to all of those endeavors.
1: Thank you very much. I like the way you tied that up, and you mentioned uh, data drawn in real time from patients. Very appropriate. Janelle Farstein, love to have your thoughts on what Don just shared with us.
3: Yeah, you know, Don's right. It's, it's all of this data and all of this information and the patient becoming more and more informed, not only about the treatments that are out there, but about their own their own biologic things that are occurring on a regular basis and how they then interact with the uh, physicians and the providers um, that drive more precision medicine uh, that the industry has been talking about, and then how does the life sciences companies leverage that information to minimize adverse events um, and to further, uh, from a techno- an innovation in the science, drive better outcomes Uh, with the patient and really look at how do they leverage that information to make better decisions about where their path forward is and how they engage the patient and get that information uh, so that they can drive those better outcomes. I, I completely agree with Don. It is an age of just how do you take all this information and really add value. Thank you
1: very much. Data seems to be the big topic of the day here. Let's go around the table to Mr. Kevin Brophy. Kevin, join us. Agree, disagree, what do you think about the data and the patient's involvement in self-care and knowing what's going on?
4: Yeah, and and in fact, uh, 2.5 million terabytes of data per day are collected by uh, the, the pharmaceutical, the medical device biopharma companies, that's going to double every 73 days until 2020. So it really pushes the point of exactly uh, what Don and Janelle are talking about as far as how important the data is. And some of that data is actual um, patient data where the companies are trying to engage with the patients. Um, There is one scenario where a company, they they engage with the patients uh, in the diabetes area, and the whole goal of that for them, uh, where many companies were just trying to keep patients um, on their drug when it went off patent, uh, this one Mm -hmm. particular company did it strategically because they wanted the data so they can use that in the development of their next drug. So absolutely uh, really important today as far as um, the, the data, the patient data, and but most importantly, the life science companies accessing it um, and being able to use that in their development.
1: Thank you very much. Don McKenzie, anything you want to add to what your co-panelists have just commented on your topic?
2: No, Bonnie, I think uh, it's well summarized now. I think um, I'm happy with the conversation so far.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Janelle Firestein. I'm looking at your notes, and there's all kinds of interesting things in here. Love to talk more about the technology now that we've established about the availability of data in real time, the way life sciences companies are reaching out to patients. Patients are more involved in their own care. All good points. So you say here, uh, Janelle, while uptake in artificial intelligence may seem slow in life sciences compared to other industries, the potential shift it represents will endeavor impact the way drugs and medical devices are discovered, designed, created, distributed, and used. Let's talk about AI. Tell me a little bit more, Janelle, please.
3: Yeah, we're starting to see in the industry AI uh, leveraged in small uh, areas within the life sciences industry, specifically around clinical trial and drug discovery, where they're seeing the most benefit right now. So we're starting to see that and how they leverage it. You know, Takeda Pharmaceuticals is a great example where they leveraged it um, for adherence uh, during their clinical trial. They saw a 67% increase in the drug concentration levels and the 90% mean of cumulative adherence uh, for that because they were able to leverage the AI technology to confirm that patients were taking the medication, uh, which will, allowed them not to have to obsolete a, a trial because they didn't have adherence there. They were able to collect more data on the uh, most common lapse points in, in adherence so that they could leverage that to make sure that the next time that they were able to really work with the patient to see that. Um, And then we're able to really respond to the patients. And they leveraged that AI. So they were using AI in that capacity. We're seeing other companies um, like um, Novartis where they're leveraging it uh, and operating their clinical trials as well and seeing good results. But it's slow. We're seeing it in small pockets. And um, the opportunity really is in starting to leverage it in a larger scale and even at the manufacturing and supply chain levels, where you're starting to gather more and more data, and you're able to then drive better outcomes in your manufacturing process and reduce um, errors, drive more efficiency, and get the product to the patient faster. So there's lots of opportunity. They're starting small in the R&D and clinical space uh, to really drive um, bringing drugs to market faster. Uh, but there's a ton of opportunity further downstream or further downstream in the manufacturing and operations and supply chain process. Thank so you. Looking G- forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah. Next in the I have
1: a question. Be- Before I invite Kevin and Don in, my question to you is I started out with your note saying uptake in AI seems slow in life sciences compared to other industries. Why? Why is it slow?
3: I uh, It's. Finding the application that drives the most benefit. Um, when you think about AI in consumer, where at, like an Amazon is leveraging it to make recommendations to their to their customer as you're ordering online. Um, in you know Facebook, when they're they're looking at language development areas, you know that seems more natural. Whereas in life sciences trying to ba- break the trend of where we've been and really ground and interact more with the end consumer, the patient, has been slow to take on. And I think that that is where it's slow to take on even in the AI space as well.
1: Thank you very much. That's what I was looking for. Kevin Brophy, agree or disagree with Janelle? Love to get your thoughts here, please.
4: No, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think one of the... Um, The the issues with the slow adoption, when you get into the manufacturing process areas and using AI, um, you've got regulatory issues. And this is where uh, the FDA and and, uh, the Euro uh, registry, they need to really look at um, the current regulations and, and actually act a little faster on what would be acceptable from things like AI in the manufacturing area um, it doesn't mean you can't use that information today, but at the end of the day, under the current regulations, a human has to you know then dig into the interpretation and you know come up with the evidence for it so that just regulatory alone is is one of the the areas that slows the adoption, but that said, <clears throat> I think a lot of companies realize the value of it and and really want to be able to leverage more AI.
1: Thank you very much. Good insights there. Don McKenzie at Intelligence. please join us. What do you think?
2: Hi, Bonnie. Yeah, I think I was waiting for the, the word regulatory to step into that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think um, while regulatory is very important to this industry and all of us as consumers of products out of this industry, I think what's interesting to me is how life sciences companies are beginning to turn their attention to two important things around these concepts of artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, etc., is how do you staff in a new way that still preserves the conservative um, characteristics of organization that they are as they are, uh, but begin to focus on data scientists and contributing to a success in a research project or a clinical trial project through the data, using a, a, a device, a, a machine, a piece of equipment, a computer, to step through the process in a way faster than, than we can as humans. So it's um, you know, just getting to a result the way we are left with decisions as people um, that are based on data that we can just grow um, at a faster pace and get to a result more quickly. So I don't think it's a bad thing, and, and also I think all regulatory is still just as relevant as it ever was, um, but, you know, being able to use data in an accelerated way, um, and I think the staffing process is beginning to kick into gear here. So I'm seeing evidence in the market of, of life sciences companies not only picking up extremely powerful research scientists, but also extremely powerful data scientists and bringing data into the big picture around their staffing.
1: Thank you very much, Don. Good insights. Janelle, this was your topic. We started a couple of minutes ago. Any comments back to Don and or Kevin from you?
3: Yeah, no, I think it's uh, both have great insight. and um i I completely agree it, you know, as from a regulatory perspective, I love that uh, Kevin brought that up because it's absolutely true. And I think the other thing that they're slow to bring this to market is as they step into new regulatory areas. As they get closer to the patient, um, there's implications around HIPAA uh, that mm-hmm. are stronger than they were before, and they're trying to navigate that. But as Don pointed out, the data and the access to the data and being able to make decisions uh, allow for the industry to really drive better insights and better outcomes that will have this speed to market is needed. So it's a balancing act between the two.
1: Thank you very much. And now Kevin Brophy, I'm moving on to some notes you sent. And let's bring in another new, new-ish I'll use that advisedly, newish technology that can impact progress in life sciences. Let's talk about blockchain. You told me before the show, quote, blockchain can turn a costly compliance process, talking about regulation, like serialization into a cost-effective process, not only driving safety, but also simplifying a business process problem like returns. Can you deconstruct that for us, please, Kevin Brophy?
4: Sure, sure. So um, serialization, you know, for the listeners not familiar with it, but there's mm-hmm. regulations out there um, globally and locally. So uh, U.S., we have our own. We passed uh, the Drug Supply Chain Security Act 2013. Uh, Euro seems to be more ahead of us. Uh, they have their own regulations. And, and basically what it is, the pharmaceuticals and biopharmas have to serialize <clears throat> product as it leaves. Uh, so that means right on down to the bottle level, there's a serial number on that. And as that leaves and goes to the distributors, and then the uh, distributors um, have to also track the serial numbers. So it's, it's quite complex process, very costly. Um, to serialize product in a manufacturing line, the average cost put the equipment in to do that is about $250,000 on average. So you can do the multiple for some of the large farmers who have hundreds of packaging lines on what that investment is. Um, One of the things we've been working on with several customers this year, one a distributor and several pharmas is literally the ability to use blockchain. So uh, with blockchain, what allows you to do uh, is have events and data traveling with the information. So, instead of just being able to send the serial number, you can send the shipping information, what the order information was and such, as it moves through the, the distribution channel. So, from your plant to the distributor and then off to the hospitals or, <clears throat> or the pharmacies or wherever the product's being sent, um, a very costly process here is when product is sent back from the distributors. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a habit in the way the industry is operated. So when that those shipments come back to the manufacturer, um, they they have to figure out what order, where it came from. Is it still good is, is one of the big issues. Well, with, uh, with what we're doing here with blockchain, that enables immediately to see the information associated with that return and quickly determine that we can quickly resell this. We don't need to test it. We don't need to even put it away. We can put it on a truck and ship it to another customer who has an order in already. Um, So right there, you took a very costly process to be compliant and you turned it into some value for the organization. So it's very exciting. And these are the kinds of things where, um, Yeah, we're not cryptocurrency in life sciences, but, uh, Mm -hmm. we can find some value out of blockchain.
1: Thank you very much. I love to get that in there because everybody does seem to relate blockchain to cryptocurrency and there's a lot more depth to it than that actual tactic. It's, it's a bigger thing and we've talked about it and I've written summaries of articles from Digitalist Mag for, uh, yes, for the Digitalist briefings and did some audio recordings of those talking about the value in so, to so many industries. especially with uh, the validation of very expensive wine. But that's another conversation. Let's go around the table. Don McKenzie, love to get your thoughts on what Kevin just shared with us.
2: Yeah, I'm glad he brought it up because, um, you know, and I'll just take it down to the personal level again. You know, when you travel, when we're traveling abroad um, as Americans, as American residents, we we tend to think of traveling abroad as, you know, part of our freedom, part of our culture. Um, But things really turn south when you, when you get sick and and you have to then depend on on a health system that you have no idea of um, and and engaging foreign healthcare systems to to fix whatever you're dealing with can be frightening, but the thing that I learned recently that I found absolutely amazing is that up to sixty percent of drugs available in some countries are fake. going back to blockchain, you know that process of, of disciplined data gathering all the way up through Um, the the material sourcing or the ingredient sourcing process into a production process, into a distribution process, into a retail experience, and possibly, as Kevin described, back into a return uh, to a um, distributor and then all the interaction that takes place between the distributor and the manufacturer. If that was all disciplined in its structure and unchangeable, then we have a hope of, of being able to trace and track products thoroughly, all the way down to the individual pack, um, consumer pack, uh, and keep the whole process full of integrity rather than you know losing control of it. So, yeah, blockchain is, I think, a, a very important part of our future here.
1: Definitely. I'm glad you brought that up, and that's quite a statistic. Up to 60% of drugs in some countries are fake. Yes, probably more. Janelle Firestein, let's get your thoughts on this. The value of blockchain to life sciences. Janelle?
3: Yeah. So, um, the... The additional value that I see blockchain bringing to life sciences is in the innovation of science um, from the perspective of the CAR T technologies that we're now seeing out there, where the patient's uh, T cells are leveraged to manufacture the drug that is then reinfused into them after manufacturing. And when you look at blockchain, these individuals are very sick, um, end of life um, types of drugs that are saving lives and the patients are very, and their families are want to know where that T cell sample is at every given moment, even through the manufacturing process and all the way back to the infusion. And blockchain is an opportunity that really not only allows the manufacturer to understand where the sample is at and authenticate the sample. But it also allows the patient and the provider that visibility potentially to understand where the sample is and when it's going to get back to them and when that infusion is going to occur. And then, again, the authenticity of that drug product, that it is indeed theirs. Uh, so it brings some reassurance there. I see a lot of applicability uh, for blockchain there um, with that innovation of science as well.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And this was your topic, Kevin. You want to just quickly wrap this up? We're technically in the crystal ball predictions round of the show, but I just want to give you a chance to comment back to Don and Janelle. Go ahead, Kevin.
4: Yeah, yeah and Don, great point on verification. Um, and, and one of those areas, you know, with with the potential here of counterfeiting, um, with blockchain, that gives you this extra level of, of ability to really verify that those serial that product is is real, um, and and when you think about third world countries where uh, a lot of the counterfeiting takes place, uh, it's very exciting to think that you can have that kind of impact and make sure that these third world countries and the patients there are getting actual, true, authentic drugs.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin. And Don McKenzie, we're going around to you. I've got 60 seconds for each of you. Use them well. Let's put on the crystal ball hat or the 3D goggles or whatever you're going to wear for this part of the show. And Don at Intelligence North America, I'd love to know what you see coming up or down the pike in terms of digital innovation in life sciences, let's say between 2020 and 2025, or you tell me the time frame. Don McKenzie,
2: all yours. Great, thank you, and uh, I think it's just an extension of a lot of things we've discussed here today already. Um, I think data is going to be a critical path for most, uh, all life sciences companies to, um, to revisit their research and development processes, their clinical trial processes, and their drug production and distribution processes to use data um, to direct their businesses toward faster, uh, more successful applications of their assets, their investments, and uh, getting data to be a critical part of that from a staffing perspective. But also, with that, there's going to be a shift in culture. Uh, and I think culture is going to become critically important to all of these businesses. I think they've they've been extremely conservative in the past. Um, and I think it's fully uh, understandable to, to get to why that conservatism is present. But getting that culture to shift to embrace um, external entities and data, and being able to supplement what they do with those impressions of um, of data and the results of that data to direct their process and clean uh, or improve their processes going forward. I think that's it.
1: Thank you very much. And now let's go to Janelle Firestein. Janelle, talk to me. Sixty yeah. seconds. So,
3: go ahead. Yeah. So I think the digital innovation in the next, in between 20 and 25 is going to start to go beyond where we're seeing it today, which is in the engagement of the patient and, um, at the, you know, the R&D and clinical space back into operations. I see as the cultural culture is changing and the staffing model is changing and we have these younger generations coming into the workforce that are, you know, leverage the swiping on the phone and Mm -hmm. our visual thinkers and visual learners, we're going to start to see the life sciences industry start to move in that direction as well uh, with how they're um, bringing in those resources and how they're training those resources and the days of the 42 page SOP that tells you how to do your job is going to go away and it's going to be a more interactive learning experience and how they operate, which is going to drive more efficiency and reduce errors um, in the long run. So I think there's a lot of innovation to occur in that operational space Um, And we're going to start to see it in between 2020 and 2025.
1: Thank you very much, Janelle. And Kevin Brophy, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Hit the ground. Go ahead. Hit it running.
4: You got it. So um, I think we're going to see major change in how things, uh, business processes run in an organization. Uh, They're going to be redefined. uh, And those that adopt the fastest are going to be the ones that are more successful. And, and a good example would be today, and what companies do as far as a shared service model, where they take um, some standard business processes uh, across the organization and, and they're done centrally on a global basis. And it's things like paying expense reports and um, paying uh, purchase orders and these kinds of things. With machine learning, these processes are going to be automated. So even your shared services groups are going to be much, much smaller. Um, I've heard different estimates from different experts from anywhere from 60% to 80% to uh, I've heard a couple of people feel shared services probably may not even have resources there. I disagree with that. I see, still think you'll have some people overseeing what's going on. But when you think about that, that gives them the ability to free cash and invest that cash into these new therapies and uh, hopefully Uh, fight some, some of these diseases like cancer and have more success.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin. I like that optimism. Getting rid of these diseases and more success. Don McKenzie at Intelligence North America. Thank you so much, Don. Pleasure to have you on. Janelle Firestein. Same thing at Clarkson Consulting. Come back anytime. Kevin Brophy. Pleasure to meet you. Shout out to Michelle Schuf at SAP who put the show together. Aaron at the Business Channel team, our engineer extraordinaire. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my call to action because we are just about out of time. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and find, go out and find a game changer. Be a game changer. Embrace the concept of changing the game. That's what we're doing here. Just like Don McKenzie at Intelligence, just like Janelle Firestein at Clarkson Consulting, and just like Kevin Brophy at SAP. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.